You're listening to Divorce Story, the podcast that will help you get back on your feet when life becomes one you had not planned. I'm Cass Thorburn. I'm a journalist, single mum of three, and just over three years ago, my marriage ended and I had to hit restart. And I'm Annalise Dent. I'm a writer, broadcaster, and mum of two. I haven't been through a marriage separation, but I grew up in a home going through one, and I've supported family members and many girlfriends going through the process, a role I would never take for granted. On the show today, Cass, we're going to be talking about like the nitty gritty details of a separation and divorce. It's really important because anyone going through a separation knows that one of the first things that come to mind is, oh, what do I do? Yeah. No one talks about divorce or separation. It's not something we all sit around going, hey, if I get separated, yeah. did you know I'm going to get money from this yeah. tree. Well, that's right. And, yeah. and, you know, you don't sit there talking to girlfriends about if I get separated, this is what I'm going to do. And you don't even talk to your girlfriends really when you're going through a separation. You don't go, oh, do you know where I can go to solve my mortgage problems or, you know, what am I going to do about this? That's not kind of where your girlfriends are with you. There is emotional support. But in this episode, I think we can show people that you can be a support or have information that might help someone. Yeah. And there's just, there's so many things that potentially that you need to change that you might not even be thinking about or have ever thought about. Oh, and the list goes on and on and you have to really, you know, pare it back. And start, you know, keep it simple, stupid, you know, that kiss sort of saying and start from the beginning. Don't get overwhelmed and try and tackle too much at once, you know, make a list. And hopefully today I know that people will get a list out of it. Yeah, we'll be talking about some of the support services that are available and also what legal aid can do and how they can possibly help. And we'll be joined by family law specialist Alana Boyle to talk us through what rights you forego if you move out of the family home. See Cass, I would never even thought of that as something that you have to think about. Of course you have to think about it. And both parties have the right to stay in the family home. Yes, how do you decide who leaves? Mm, Big decisions. But first... To help us understand what services are out there, we're joined by Ruth Pilkington from the Early Intervention Unit of Legal Aid New South Wales. So Ruth, what does early intervention mean in a family law context? Well, really it's about trying to talk to people as early as possible so that they can avoid some of the pitfalls that some people unfortunately can get into in family law. So for us, we actually like to talk to people before they even separate Right. Mm. I wouldn't have thought that. Mm. Yeah, we think it's a really good idea for people to get some legal advice so that they can be thinking about some of the things that they might need to be doing before they even um, have made that decision that it's time for the relationship to end. And before some of the real damage is done, I guess, because once you get into arguments about finances or about settlement, that can be problematic, can't it? Well, it can. And people sometimes need to do some things to protect themselves, to make sure that they um, have done things such as um, put aside some money into their own bank account, for instance, or they might need to be thinking about just some really practical things in relation to the children and how things are going to work post-separation. 
unfortunately, we know that um, separation is one of the most dangerous times for people who are living in a relationship characterised by domestic violence. And so we really like to see people as well to talk to them about some of the things that they might need to address in relation to safety planning to make sure that once they do make that decision that they're as safe as possible. So when you say talk to them, do you also mean to kind of defuse the the anger or the, you know, concern there that someone's going to get agitated by part of the conversation? Yeah, that's a really good point, Cass. Good family lawyers should not be encouraging disputes between parents um, at the point of separation. The obligation of a good family lawyer is to really focus particularly on the children and on their best interests and not to be fueling disputes between the adults. And they should be trying to encourage people to work out as best they can how they can focus on what's most important at the time and not continuing to have tit-for-tat kind of um, disputes with one another. How can legal aid help people during the really tough times of of separation? Yeah, well, my team, the Family Law Early Intervention Unit from Legal Aid New South Wales, is a team that goes out into the community to see people. In New South Wales, we go to over 35 different locations every month to provide free and confidential legal advice to people at the point of separation or perhaps if they're down the track a bit and they need a little bit of assistance to overcome a hump that they've encountered along the way. And people can contact our service and um, they can make an appointment to come and see us or perhaps they're unable to come in. Perhaps they live in a, in a remote location and they're, they're not close enough to one of our services and we provide free um, telephone advice to people in that situation. How brilliant. Is, is this means tested? Like can anyone access this or is it a certain, you know, cut off of, of financial income? Yeah, sure. Well, legal aid... New South Wales and all different legal aid commissions around the states and territories of Australia are funded by the Commonwealth Government to provide services about family law because it's a, it's a it's an issue that that comes from the government in Canberra so that government has to um, provide funding to help people with that issue am i stating something obvious when i say that going through divorce was seen as Uh, such a difficult process that you came up with the early intervention program because it does help to intervene early. Yeah, that's a really good point as well. Yeah, I I think that's right. We um, were able to create our unit in 2011 because it was acknowledged that we did need to provide more services to people in different places. We needed to go outside of our Legal Aid Commission offices and and go out into the community and to, to meet people where they feel comfortable and to be able to reach more people. And services such as ours are replicated around Australia. The Commonwealth more recently has funded um, family advocacy and support services. So at the major family court registries now, there are always solicitors available to give people advice similar to to the advice that would be provided by my team. And there's also support workers in those locations to help people with the social support issues that they need to address when they're going through a family law situation. Because there are benefits for the whole country for people to go through a better settlement or a better divorce, I should say. Because it affects productivity. At the end of the day, it affects people at their jobs, it affects people in their lives, how they're living. Really expensive. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, I think that there's the two points. It's it's a, it's about the psychological um, and emotional impact that divorce can have on people and their ability to con- to continue to work effectively. And then there's also the issue of the cost of of accessing services. So. Legal aid is available to advise people. At the point of separation, anyone can get at least one advice service from legal aid and we hope from the perspective of my team that we're able to give people a roadmap uh, at that point to be able to guide them so that they can traverse the ups and downs of that process a bit more readily and uh, without so many problems um, because they've seen our service. We can't necessarily do everything for people um, because in some circumstances people do have the means to pay for a lawyer. But in some instances when people are of low income, they might be able to um, make what is called an application for legal aid for them to have ongoing assistance from a legal aid lawyer to... um, take their matter further. Wow, that's brilliant. If you're not at the stage where you're still in the relationship and you come to you as early intervention, legal aid can still help, can't they? Certainly. We don't say that you have to have only just separated to access our service. We understand that people can often manage a situation for quite some time on their own and then something changes. Their child enters high school or the other parent repartners or the other parent has a child and that changes the nature yeah. of the relationship within the, the broader family dynamic and everyone needs to have a recalibrate and it might be at that point they need some legal advice and we're absolutely available at those points as well. How wonderful. Does everybody need a lawyer going through a divorce? No. Okay. The short answer is no. However, it's important to note that lawyers can be very useful in some circumstances and I certainly think that the services provided by our lawyers are very helpful because, as I say, we're able to provide people with that overall picture of, of what they, they need to do. The important thing to note is within family law, there's a number of different issues that people need to address. Some don't really need lawyers at all. Like um, when you first separate, if you have children, you need to think about a few really key things. If you're not going to be living with the other parent anymore um, and you're going to be the primary carer for that child, you would be entitled to seek some financial support from that person. And that can be worked out through the Department of Human Services, which is the same Commonwealth Government agency that looks after Centrelink. And they have a specialised team there called Child Support and people can make an application for child support to be paid by the other parent. And that uses a mathematical formula to work out how much money should be paid depending on the circumstances of each parent. So that's what's called an administrative process. And it is sometimes possible or or necessary to have the courts involved in child support, but often it's not necessary. Okay. And we'll definitely share the, the links of that in our show notes for people to be able to go and access that information. That's brilliant. What's a do it yourself divorce? People often think of divorce as being everything involved with the ending of a relationship, but in fact, the law divides things up. So there's the issue of actually ending a marriage, which is a divorce, and that is a process that a lot of times people could actually negotiate themselves or navigate themselves. And Legal Aid New South Wales has some very helpful fact sheets available on our website that can um, help people um, through that process. People do need to be aware that they need to pay a filing fee within the family court to actually lodge their divorce. How much does that cost? It costs $900 to, to um, lodge the application. Oh, but okay. there, it is possible to reduce that if you're on a Centrelink benefit or you're in financial distress. Oh, but good. 
need to apply to the court at the time. Right. Now, um, my team provides services at the court every day in the main the main registries in New South Wales, and that's replicated around Australia, where people can get some information about that process. Um, but the important thing to note is is that divorce is is literally just the issue about ending the marriage. Yeah. Before one can apply for a divorce, you must actually have been separated for mm. twelve months. Yeah. Um, you can't actually even make the application until such time as you've been separated for twelve months. And there mm. are special rules in place for people who've been married for less than two years. Right. They oh. need to. They need to go through some some other processes. But some people in that twelve months may have decided settlement. They may have decided to sell their home and divided up themselves. But the divorce is the final. Correct. Tick. Sometimes people separate and they don't they might they might not divorce for years and years and years. Yeah, of course. People do need to be conscious though about the way in which things change and I do think it's important for people to get some legal advice. Like if you've been separated for twenty years and um, you die, then the other person's capacity to make a claim against your will is gonna be different because you're still married compared right. to if you were divorced. So, you know, people really do need to think about the legal implications of what they're doing and not bury their head in the sand about it. Thanks, Ruth. And just a note, if you call Legal Aid and want to record your chat with them, you just need to ask your rep. Coming up, what you need to know about your rights to the family home. But first, Annalise, you've got something you want to tell me? Yes. So Cass, there's this fabulous website, which I'd never heard of before researching for today's episode, and it's called Services Australia. So it's government run, so there's no sort of vested interest at all, but it's it's a real hub of every single financial, legal, child support, childcare benefits, what you're entitled to in terms of payments. It's a hub of every single thing that you might need to know going through a separation. Well, how valuable is that? I know. Because I think, you know, speaking to a lot of our divorce story uh, people that have come on the show, a lot of them say, you know, you go to Centrelink, you line up for three hours, you get to someone, they don't know you, they don't know your history, and it, you feel like you, you you can't get a lot of information rocking up to Centrelink. So this particular site is somewhere that you can sit for hours in your own time and it can develop and, and tailor to your own situation, income, your exes and everything like that. And it's also kind of a checklist, right? It allows yeah. you, because you can go back to it and you can say, have I dealt with this? And then there's no hurry to sort of, you sit they're thinking, oh, have I done this and have I done, have I done that? And what did that person tell me? And if it's there on a website, you can just go through at your own pace and prioritise the parts that you uh, that are relevant to you to address first. Yeah, and we'll definitely share the, the link in our show notes um, so you can go back and, and, and find that. But other things as well that you might not know about, uh, you can get referrals for private and confidential counselling services if you want to speak to a professional about your situation and what you're going through. Support products and services with information and advice to help with the changes to your situation. And really importantly, like we touched on before, those financial support services that you might be eligible for. So childcare assistance, child support assessments, and also there's a a link there uh, for somewhere that you can go if you're in a crisis or financial hardship situation where you might actually be eligible for a payment from the government for that. And fantastic. And the Child Support Information Service is another one. Um, an automated phone service parents receiving child support can use to get details about their account. 
And also really importantly, it's, it's got a budgeting tool so you can get information, but also it helps you manage your money moving forward. Which is really important because not all of us may have been in the position that we were managing the money for the household. I mean, I was a stay-at-home mum, I was managing the finances, but not everyone is in that position, whether by, you know, choice or not. Um, So it's really important that people start looking at what's coming in and out. And of course, the income to the household will have changed. In the early days of separating, it's very easy to assume that someone will pack up and leave. After all, that's what happens in the movies. But in the event of separation, both parties are legally entitled to live in the family home. One party can't force the other to leave, and under law, you can't kick each other out. Ideally, one party decides to leave the property to alleviate what might potentially be a stressful situation but you could be foregoing rights. To walk us through what rights you have, we're joined by solicitor in family law, Alana Boyle. Hi, Alana. Hi. So, Alana, you wanted to start us off with a a bit of a legal disclaimer. Well, I guess, firstly, it's important to know that this is merely kind of an information session and, you know, whatever I do say, uh, don't take as your legal advice per se and that you should kind of take your, get your own advice and seek out uh, professionals, either legal professionals or financial professionals to provide that sort of advice on your specific circumstances. Alana, I've been divorced and the most basic thing I guess in the beginning is who lives where? When you are deciding who should leave, if you're in a relationship where you're considering separating, if you're able to discuss who has availability of alternate accommodation, is there anyone that you know you can you can stay with for the interim few months? following the immediate separation. You know, has one of the parties previously rented or leased out a property so they've got rental references or is one employed and one's not because employment can be considered in whether or not you'll be accepted as someone to rent a property. Also, I guess if there are children involved, who will be the primary care of the children? Alana, is there a legal obligation if, say, for example, as you point out, say the mother or the wife stays in the home with the children because that's, you know, the family home, is there a legal obligation for a joint payment of, of mortgages and bills? There's not a legal obligation. The issue, however, is if you don't meet the needs of your mortgage repayments, mm. um, the next processes can be taken by banks or service providers. Again, you need to have that agreement with your ex-partner as to who will be paying for the mortgages or bills. Alternatively, you can actually contact, there's various banks and uh, service providers that you can contact, advise them of your circumstances, request Mm. a sort of hardship consideration and they can waive, you know, a certain period of time for you to have, um, you know, that you're not required to pay mortgages or um, they can reduce the amount, make arrangements such as those that could benefit both of you just in that interim time where you're trying to work out, okay, how do we distribute, you know, the the assets and, and whatnot. Whether you're male or female, if you leave the family home and leave the children in the family home, are you giving anything up? Yeah, in terms of access, what what are you potentially giving up? 
So you, you don't give up your rights or losing access to the children because you leave the matrimonial home. Mm. Um, as I said before, the primary consideration is that the ch- it's in the best in the children's best interest, but also that the children have a meaningful relationship with both parents. Mm. So that's another consideration. So the court will seek to, in, unless there is uh, violence, um, and that's the other consideration that you, you need to be protected from physical or psychological um, harm. But ultimately, the court will try will endeavour to maintain a meaningful relationship with both parents. Uh, so, if if one parent is the primary uh, is the primary parent and they are spending and they've got the day to day care of the child, they they're going to be determining the schedule of the child. So they can use that schedule um, to sort of run the agenda per se, and that may in turn limit how much access the other party has to the child. Um, so you know, as you can imagine, certain parties when they're it becomes a bit of, um, you know, a, a larger dispute, may try to use the child to kind of get back at the other, which is ultimately frowned upon. But in any event, that may limit your access to the children. But if you make an application to the court seeking parenting orders, the court can override any agreement between the both of you. But obviously that is costly and, and timely. But it doesn't necessarily mean just because you left the house, does that mean that you then don't have access to the children? Alana, family courts are congested, to say the least. How beneficial is it to try and come to some of those agreements, if you can, before it goes to court? I think it's ideally it is the ultimate goal is that you make an agreement between the both of you, mm. and that doesn't necessarily have to be a discussion over over the dinner table. You can actually use alternate dispute resolution methods, such as medi- uh, mediation. Sorry, meditation. But <laughs> you'll need that too. You'll need that too. Yeah. <laughs> but mediation is a really good form of initial discussion forum in a way, um, because you have an independent mediator who can sit there and facilitate the discussions between the two of you. Um, if it came to the point where you know you don't feel comfortable being in the room with your ex-partner, you can have mediations which you both have solicitors present. Um, You can have mediations which are shuttle mediations um, where you're sitting in one room and your ex-partner's in another room and there's a mediator going in between and bringing back offers or bringing back, you know, arrangements or whatnot. So there are a range of alternate methods available to uh, people. But again, that is something that you can only really understand all of these sort of processes when you start to research it. Alana, thank you so much for giving us your very valuable time. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Alana, for the advice. Thank you. All right. Thank you. And just a reminder, that was some information that Alana so very generously shared with us. Uh, It's not to be taken as legal advice. And it was really good information. There was loads of information there that allows women or men to kind of set things in place and hopefully that successful separation goal might be achieved. Yeah. Today's divorce story comes from one of our listeners, Joni. When her relationship ended, she had no family support around her. And her ex removed all their income and savings from their bank account and she was left to deal with it all. 
So Joni, tell us a little bit about your separation. Okay, so I had been with my ex-partner for the good part of 11 years. In that time, we had two children together and he came to the relationship with a daughter as well. So there was the three kids. Our relationship, I was really young when I got with him. I was, I just turned 19. So I had never really had a serious relationship before. And um, I I think Looking back, I was very dependent on him. So I was financially dependent on him, emotionally dependent on him, lots of things. Um, And because we kind of matured together, I suppose, um, our relationship was actually really toxic because we weren't really that mature to begin with. So, you know, I had my daughter. um, I fell pregnant with her when I was 20 um, and I hadn't really established myself yet. So I hadn't you know, even started my career or anything like that. So I suppose I didn't really have my identity either. Um, So I really throughout that process, that 11 years, um, was trying to find myself as well. So the last probably five years of our relationship, we probably shouldn't have been in a relationship. It was quite a toxic relationship. I think there was certain aspects of our relationship that people could probably say would have been considered like family violence, like um, he was quite controlling of money and and things like that because he always earned really good money. Mm. And so towards the end of the relationship, I actually started working in a really good job. So I was earning quite good money as well. But then when we separated, he left the family home, but he took the money. So I was left the house and I didn't have to ever pay him out or anything like that, but I was left with a mortgage. So I was working in a job that I often worked late and I just couldn't do that with my kids. So I was really fortunate. I was able to get a job at a high school. So I worked school hours, but it meant that I took a significant pay cut. So I was really dependent on settling payments and child support. And I'd never really had to worry about money before. So I wasn't just going through a separation. I was going through, like, I had to learn so much. So with your with your new job in the high school, you're taking the yeah. pay cut, were you able yep. to cover the mortgage on your new salary? Yep. So my pay just covered the mortgage with a little bit of change. So it was really tough. And I look back now, I think, oh, my God, how did I ever survive? Like... I think that's why I'm so grateful to my house. Like I love my house. I don't think I'll ever sell it because I had to work so hard to keep it. Joni, when you talk about you were, you know, you were left with the house, which also meant that you were left with a mortgage. There were also yeah. clearly, you know, electricity bills and yep. food bills and everything in the yep. else that goes with it. What are the yep. services that you're mentioning when you say that you were heavily dependent on Centrelink? Yeah, so I... Um, when I initially went to claim for Centrelink, I'd never claimed Centrelink in my life. I'd only ever done like baby bonus payment um, and the childcare rebate. I'd never had to claim a payment before. So um, when I had to, because like I was like, I'm, I know I'm not going to survive, I need to get payments, I didn't even really know where to begin. So I first initially called Centrelink and they just told me what I had to do. And the lady was lovely, really helpful, but in a sense too, like I was just so overwhelmed with everything else as well. I kind of, I felt like I was just 
inundated with information on that phone call and I didn't really know how to manage it. I also didn't have any family here or anything so I was really having to manage it on my own. It was just a nightmare and I felt like I consider myself to be quite smart and um, like I'm a professional and all those sorts of things but I could not for the life of me fill out these forms and I still remember ringing Centrelink um, one night. I was literally helping my son eat his tea, like I'd been on call for ages and I finally got through and I was sitting on my lounge room floor and the kids are sort of around me and I just broke down to this poor woman she was lovely um, and she said you know what I'm just gonna step through you or with you over the phone so I will forever be grateful to that lady so I was really lucky she did that for me but she got mine and my ex-partner's care arrangements the wrong way around so I I didn't get a payment. (laughs) I know. So even though I had to provide proof, so my partner, my ex-partner was actually quite good. I wrote a letter saying like what our care arrangement was and he signed it and all that sort of stuff. Like, and I took that into the local Centrelink and um, so I had proof to support what I'd said, but that still wasn't enough obviously. So because I knew no different, I waited, it would have been nearly 12, um, two months, sorry. And then I'm like, gosh, I should have got a payment by now. Surely I should have got a payment by now. So I rang them and um, I spoke to a really lovely man and he's like, oh, Joni, I think they've put your care in the wrong way around. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So he, like, I got the pay the next day. It was back paid, but those two months were really tough. So I was really lucky that we had money sitting um, on our mortgage, so I was able to redraw it. We paid extra off the house. So um, I had a few thousand dollars sitting there. So I was able to use that for food and bills and all the rest of it, but it was hard. I imagine, Joni, those two months you hadn't received a payment from Centrelink. Your wage only just covered the mortgage. You had a little bit of loose change. What were some of the things that you went without in that time? Oh, gosh. So I didn't have a social life. So my kids would go to their dads every fortnight on the weekend. I didn't go anywhere. And to be honest, at that time, I wasn't really ready to either. Um, So it was quite isolating. My kids, you know, just small things like the sport um, and stuff like that, I'd have to go to their dad and and ask for him to help. And I, I already felt... Um, degraded in the process I suppose I wanted to be strong and do it on my own and I couldn't and I really wanted to be able to Um, so having to actually always ask and you know I was so worried that that money was going to run out and I wasn't going to be able to pay a bill and um, you know food shopping like you know I had to learn because I'd never had to do it before I had to learn to be really frugal with my money and um, make meals that would last us, you know, two or three nights and um, just like shop around. Like I remember doing grocery shopping and I would go to like two different grocery stores um, because I'd go where the specials were, just stuff like that. It was actually really time-consuming and stressful um, because I was so scared <laughs> of losing money and just things like when it was my weekend with the kids and the kids might say, oh, can we go to the movies or something like that? I just couldn't do it. So we'd have to do like free activities, which the kids are fine and mm. they would have no memory of it being an awful time at all. But it was really stressful. And because it was my weekend, I wanted to give them that, but I just I just couldn't afford it. Um, I literally, we were, we were living, it was barely week to week, mm. barely, yeah. So, Joni, what would you yep. tell yourself back then? 
I was so ashamed. I felt like I was being judged and I no one did anything um, to make me feel like that. But that was just me, you know, down to like my pen, I got a pension card and like, you know, I wouldn't use it as much as I could like because I was so embarrassed to sort of flush it out and, you know, I was, I was too proud. Mm. Um, if I was in that situation again, I certainly wouldn't be too proud because, you know, so many people are in the same um, situation and everyone's situation is completely different. I think it's just really important that you take time to care for yourself Um, and I didn't do that. I think I, like, blamed myself a lot if my kids were upset. I'm like, oh, God, it's my fault, like, you know, and it's so easy to do that but I think it's really important that you take care of yourself and give yourself time, even if it's just a few minutes a day just to sit and reflect and make sure that you're doing okay because you can easily burn out. Um, really great advice, Joni. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And you sound okay. like you, you did a brilliant job. Thank you. If you want to hear more from us, follow us on socials at Cass Thorburn and at Annalise Dent. And Divorce Story is produced by me, Annalise Dent. And me, Cass Thorburn. The executive producer is Eliza Ratliff. If you have any questions or feedback for us, email podcast at pacificmags.com.au.